the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, January 26, 2023. Phone number 602-508-0960-602-5080-960. I had a haunting conversation with a very well-known conservative writer that I can't get out of my head. I was lamenting that we spend about $800 billion in the United States every year on elementary and secondary education, K through 12, more than any other country. We spend over $4 trillion every year on health care in this country. We are spending you know, more money than any other country on these basics like education and health care. And every year, we are at the most advanced point, obviously, at any, than any other point in our history. And for all that, we are now seeing that this past year was actually the first year we lost academic achievement on a major scale in literacy and math in our elementary and secondary schools. Nor does anyone seem to care that for the third year in a row, we have seen a reduction in life expectancy in America down to now our lowest level since 1996. Declining life expectancy is something unheard of or was unheard of in advanced or developing nations. Most of this is, according to the CDC, due to drug use. So, with all this advancement, all this money, all this wisdom and education in the palms of our hands like never before, higher drug use higher drug deaths, lower academic scores, lower life expectancy. Sound like America to you? I said to her, this conservative journalist, thinker, writer, I said, does this sound like anything great to you, or does it sound like we are becoming the kind of country we used to send missionaries to? That's what too much of this place has become, the kind of country we used to send missionaries to. And then she said, quote, I really don't want to hear about American greatness anymore, close quote. Haunting. And this from someone, her, who I'm pretty sure voted for Donald Trump at least once, probably twice, and certainly supported most of his agenda. Another friend of mine put it that while the world still regards the United States as the leading economic and military power on earth, this same world no longer beholds us with the moral respect it once did. When the rest of the world looks at America, they see no longer a shining city on a hill. Instead, they see a society in decline with explo exploding rates of crime and other social pathologies, as I mentioned above. I could add to this a country that doesn't even care about its territorial integrity any more than it does family integrity or the integrity of its citizens. 
It was put this way. Intellectual honesty demands that we accept facts that we would sometimes like to wish away. But hard truths are truths nonetheless. And the hard truth is that something has gone wrong with us. America is not in danger of becoming a third world country tomorrow. We are too rich and likely too strong to allow that to happen. But are we too proud to let it happen? It is not that we live in a society completely devoid of decency or virtue. Many people live well, decently, even honorably. There are families, schools, synagogues, churches, neighborhoods that work. There are places where virtue is taught, learned, and practiced. But they are decreasing. They are on the decline. We are at a point in time that scores another first. The first time in our history when less than 50% of our population regularly attends religious services. There is a lot less of things to be proud of than there ought to be, and I think we know it. John Updike, the uh, great novelist, once put it this way, the fact that we still live well cannot ease the pain of feeling that we no longer live nobly. We're getting used to social regression, or too many are. And what used to cause hair-on-fire responses, never mind just people's concerns, headlines about these things come and go in a day, if they come at all. Still no headline about record all-time highly illegal and dangerous drug use. One headline, one, about record-breaking youth violent increases. William Bennett once put it this way, there is a coarseness, a callousness, a cynicism, a banality, and a vulgarity to our time. There are just too many signs of de-civilization, that is, civilization gone rotten. And the worst of it has to do with our children. Apart from the numbers and the specific facts, there is the ongoing chronic crime against children, the crime of making them old before their time. How did Neil Postman put it? Yanking children from their natural and ethical gardens of Eden, the Garden of Eden of childhood. We live in a culture which at times seems almost dedicated to the corruption of the young, to assuring the loss of their innocence before their time. And my worry is that people are not unsettled enough. I don't think we are angry enough. We have become inured or numb to the cultural rot setting in. It's not a good thing to be insouciant about or to get used to. These are not good things generally to be insouciant about or get used to. And my added concern is that large parcels of society and political leadership that does know about these things continues to press the accelerator down on them, not the brakes, thinking they aren't necessarily bad things, but perhaps in some cases good things, just as John C. Calhoun would say of slavery in the 19th century, a positive good or positive goods. John C. Calhoun was one of the most respected political leaders and political scientists of the time, and yet he too could look at something like, and in this case specifically like slavery, and say of it, quote, instead of an evil, it is a positive good, close quote. He would go on to say that to destroy something as such a positive good, so interwoven to society as slavery, would be to destroy society. That exists here today, that thinking. Look at the fights and attacks on Ron DeSantis, for example. Protecting children from pornography and race shaming has earned him 
the ire that Calhoun in his day had for the likes of heroes of our history like Daniel Webster. If you devalue the country, you probably have a disoriented view of its people. And we have been on a long tear of devaluing this country and subsequently an accelerating disorientation, not just of the people here, but personhood generally, value generally. I remind you the controlling party in Washington, D.C. boasts and protects self-declared and proud socialists. I remind you the controlling party of the executive branch of this state had a F-U-you-know-what the 4th of July holiday and sent around a mass email with a quote by a cop-killing terrorist and a fugitive from our country hiding out in Cuba. There are those who view these things as positive goods. That party did, anyway. Abraham Lincoln, in his day, worried that the world did not have a good definition of the word liberty and was in great need of one. He said too many were reading from what he called the Wolf's Dictionary. Great phrase. I think, increasingly, we do not have a good definition of right or even of decency, and I think we are getting too used to this disorientation. Good word for it. Etymology of which means a confusion as to direction. I'm reminded of, when saying that, I'm reminded of Ronald Reagan's famous speech from 1964, A Time for Choosing, where he said there is no right or left, just up or down. He put it, quote, up to man's age-old dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. Close quote. He said that when we were on a downward, he said he said that when we were on a downward course, in such a time of such wealth and advancement and access to wisdom that we have now and are at now, the irony is how far and fast we are going downhill. It really is, as I said at the beginning, unheard of. But I do hate pessimism. I do hate cynicism, and I hate being a damper. It is a road, those are roads to indolence and depression, neither of which we can afford right now, not if we plan on saving this blessed plot, this earth, this realm. There are lights fighting to beat the darkness, and we should not wake up to those lights only in October of even-numbered years. Seek out those doing good, really good, and support them now. If you can't financially here and there, or with volunteer time behind a good or great cause, do it with an email, or better yet, a real, physical, handwritten letter to a public leader. Snail mail, as we call it now. When you put that letter in the mail and do it with a stamp of our flag or a stamp of something else patriotic, you can buy those. Do that. Trust me on two things. Two things, I will promise you. It will mean a ton to the recipient who, if on our side, I guarantee you, gets more hate mail than love mail. It'll mean a lot to them, standing up for our values. But there's another thing. Once you put it in your outgoing mail, I promise you, you will feel really good. You really will. If you haven't done something like that, trust me and try it. It's a nice feeling to do something like that. We were speaking yesterday of that great answer Kevin McCarthy gave to the reporter on removing Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff from the Intel Committee. 
Let him, let McCarthy know what you think of that. He needs to know and hear. And when you find others, as you find others who do that kind of great work, let them know as well. Mark the Mark, mark these profiles encouraged. Don't just observe them. Make that a New Year resolution, a letter a month to a statesperson, a statesman, a stateswoman. It will mean a lot. We have them here, and we have them in other states, and we have them in Washington. Make sure they know they are fighting for something good and right and that they have your support, that you have their back, and you appreciate what they're doing. You will feel better, I promise, and it will keep them animated. It's easy to get depressed over all this stuff. There's a prescription here, however, in how to fight that depression and that disorder, as I just mentioned. To borrow from Shakespeare a second time here, let us not make a shameful conquest of ourself. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Mike is in Maricopa. Hi, Mike. Mike. Hello, Seth. Hi, how are you? Yes, I am doing fine. Hey, I got three things to, to, I'd like to bring up, but number one, I hear a lot of this stuff about these Abrams tanks, the M1 Abrams tanks yeah. going to Ukraine, and I kind of have a question. Either the media doesn't know or different, but... Oh, about 30 years ago, I was over in Saudi Arabia getting ready to roll into Iraq, Desert Storm. And when we first got there, they had the M1 tanks there because they were the closest, could be shipped there the quickest in case Saddam continued driving south into Saudi Arabia and not just staying in Kuwait. But then after things started to stabilize, they took all those M1 tanks out and replaced them with the M1A1. Now, the big difference between the two, the M1 has a 90-millimeter rifle barrel, and the M1A1 has a 120-millimeter smoothbore. And so it's got a much bigger punch. And being that Saddam had most of his military equipment from the Soviet Union, now... Do the media know the difference between the two differences? And I guess if 30 years ago it was important to uh, send in the upgraded M1A1s, then why are we sending the Ukrainians 30-year-old tanks? But that's just a question. Yeah, I don't know. And I guess, uh, Mike, too, the delivery, people should know, is not going to be immediate because of the way we're doing it, right? Uh, it's probably not going to happen any time until at least, at well, at earliest this summer, as I, as I was reading the stories, the, the manner in which we're yeah. delivering them um, and going through uh, Germany. I think they don't happen. I don't think the delivery happens until at least uh, July, and I think that's an early estimation, which may not even be yeah. in time to do much good. I don't know, but um, yeah, I'm, but but I'm it's thinking it, more like a year. It might. It might. You're right. I mean, I, the the articles I was saying were that the summer was an early an early estimation. So yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Look, I, I mean, all, but they, but you know, this is this is a weirdness that that I can. 
I can kind of address and wrap my head around. I can't do the the technical specs as as well as you, but you know, we can debate whether this is a good idea or not, and let's just set that aside for a moment. But if it is a good idea, if it was the only thing that was going to work to repel Putin, um, which was the desire, again, why now? I mean, too, maybe too little too late. I mean, why, the, why, why when Biden kept promising no armaments, are we now doing armaments? Why, when he was promising no materiel, are we now doing materiel? Why, when he was promising sanctions would be crippling, is there no investigation or questioning of him about how he got that about as wrong as he got Afghanistan? Anyway, public policy issues on, you know, what 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 I think we are being misled about from from on high at the White House. Yeah. And now I heard Andy Big say that some of this equipment showing up in other countries in Africa and some other stuff. So whoever knows what that is. But that was kind of the question observation I had about, uh, you know, if the M1A1 is much better against Soviet material, why are we showing one? Uh, because why the general? Why are we using the antiquated or mothballed one? Yeah, correct. Um, two other things. Now, this one, both of these articles are from the Department of Justice. This first one is December fifteenth, twenty twenty-two. So about a month ago, okay. uh, in Adair, Iowa, there was a chief of the police. He was charged with getting machine guns through false statements. He has three police officers on his force, <laughs> and he acquired close to 90 machine guns, and he was selling them for profit. the back yeah. door. Yeah, for profit. Yeah. I, I saw this at the end of last year. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I think I saw this mid or mid or end of December of last year written about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Adair, Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and there might be a theme here. I don't know if it was what were you thinking or chief of police be, you know. So this next one here, this is also from the Department of Justice, and it's the Greenberg police chief, Sean Denning, charged with federal drug crimes. This is out of Pittsburgh. Okay. And he was trying – he had acquired – cocaine and methamphetamine from a source out of Arizona and New and California, and he was selling it uh, over a, a pretty good length of time. Uh, they were delivering the drugs through uh, the U.S. mail, and it was about a 16th month period between June 21 and October of 22. And um, I don't know. I just wonder why it is. That well, we the real story there, I mean, you know, I think I think we have to assume, cert- I mean, not apologize for, not defend, certainly, and not excuse any kind of corruption. We can assume corruption is going to happen here and there in these um, in these higher in these higher offices that aren't under the scrutiny that they should be. The real tragedy is that Arizona is the nation's drug dealer right now. You just said, yeah, right? I mean, you real. said the, 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 the yes, sir. yeah. No, I, I think that's I think that is yep. the main issue here. At, at least sixty-five percent of the drugs that go to the rest of the nation come up through the Tucson sector. No, that's right. At least that. Uh, much. No, at least that much. That's exactly right. We are the nation's drug hub. <laughs> sixty-five is the majority, right? All right, Mike. Thanks for keeping up on all this stuff. You're our eyes and ears. Thank you, sir. I'm Seth. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Be right back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Yanosh is calling in uh, from the West Valley. How are you, Yanosh? Yanosh, sorry. Oh, I'm pretty good, thank you. Thank you. I I wanted to make a comment to your monologue. Earlier you were talking about how the country is thinking, and uh, one thing that I never heard of, other people say, I believe that we can thank the Beatles, the singing group, for spreading more drugs around because when they were very famous and they were written about that they used LSD and other stuff and they didn't die and they were not ending up in jail, so many young people would follow them then. And Another person who was helping to sink the U.S. is Hugh Hefner, and you know what he had done. And then uh, I also want to make just one comment. I thought schools would be there to help us get up higher and educated, not to bring us down to the gutter. But so many books the kids have to read are full of four-letter words and stories, and uh, there, too, we have influences on them, so that's how they grow up. I think—thank you, Janusz. I think that um, it's eminently fair to say that uh, the larger pop culture has not been— an aider or an abetter in civilization building here, in um, in um, in the common practices of civic ethics, um, they have not been. It has not been a force of composition. It has been a force of decomposition, and I think it. Um, when we particularly look at the schools. It's an interesting phrase that's now part of the modern pedagogical parlance, SEL, social and emotional learning. And again, Orwellian, it's anything but that. It's anything but that. Schools should have been places and should be places that aid and assess and assist what the people and the taxpayers who support them would want. And would want from them. They have become instead ideological conversion industries. I don't know what to say particularly uh, about landing as much fault and blame on the head of one band or the other. But if you want to talk about an, eth- an ethos of a decade, the ethics of the 60s, as so problematic in fueling is serving as the vector for so much of the social destruction we are reaping right now, I will agree with that. I will agree with it at the political level as well as the popular culture level. I will agree that if you think about what the rioters at the 1968 convention were doing at the age of 20, 
they're at the age of uh, your college professors and senior teachers right now. Some of them woke up and changed. Some of them wanted nothing to do with it. But some of them decided that we will get you through your children and your grandchildren. And this is what has happened. If you want to find bands, <laughs> I can give you far worse than the Beatles. Um, and if you do think about music and part of that culture, too, some of that behavior has moved like a scythe through much of that industry, taking a lot of those musicians, maybe not the Fab Four, but a lot of those musicians out at way too young an age, way too young. And not all of those musicians were part of it either. There were many that weren't. Gene Simmons would have nothing to do with that. Frank Zappa would have nothing to do with that. Angus Young would have nothing to do with that. Um, others. But as a general ethos and ethic from that decade, where we threw up our hands and decided to give our kids our money and not our values, as Dennis Prager said, we're finding that they may have money, but the values stink. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Jeffrey is in Phoenix. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi there. I'm just driving along here, and I uh, I was just thinking about the comments about the M1 tanks that uh, that you just had a, a couple of minutes ago. And it seems to me, that if anybody does a cursory look at this, it's probably just like anybody else. When when these topics come up, I bet you there's a lot of people that go online very quickly and you know try to learn about some of the equipment and the things that we're doing over there. And if you look, you know, it, it, so the country has you know, maybe a, a little over 10,000 M1 tanks in general. I'm talking about all variants. I just found it interesting also that, you know, the, first of all, the number of 30 tanks or plus, you know, a couple of support vehicles uh, is such a low number. And then the second thing, it, it kind of dawned upon me. I remembered a long time ago that, you know, General Dynamics ended up being in a pretty big argument with, um, you know, with the with the Army or with the Armed Forces, and they were arguing about about what was going to be the disposition of the plant that produced the, the M1s. I think there was, I forget how many plants were up, but it was, it, there was a problem because if they shut down the, the plant completely, of course, there's going to be much lost in, you know, being able to have parts and serviceability. And to be able to produce more M1 tanks would cost a lot more in the future. Maybe this is a case of possibly a little bit of a, long institutional memory where, you know, by the way, if, if they're sending over uh, very base M1 tanks with a 105-millimeter gun instead of something that is very proven, like what we saw in the Gulf Wars, you know, especially against ex-Soviet designs or, you know, newer, newer Russian tanks, maybe uh, it's really taking work away from general dynamics. I can't help but think that that might be part of it because there's a program that is supposed to refurbish the old tanks to sort of as new. And I don't know if that includes upgrading the 120-millimeter gun and much more capable systems, but, you know, maybe that's part of it. it in all, though, I have to say, 
I think it's a it's a minimal effort. It was probably you know more to try to make the Europeans uh, say yes to sending armor over to Ukraine than probably anything else. You said we were sending the numbers about thirty that we're we're offering up or we're promising to send. That's what I'm hearing. So while you were talking, uh, Jeffrey, uh, I hope you'll forgive me. I was I think I got almost everything you said. You were talking about, you know, the minimal number. And when you add that or combine that knowledge with how long it's going to be before they even arrive, which they're saying summer at the earliest, I believe. Last I read uh, summer at the earliest. It's a little and it's late. Um, If again, suspending right or wrong, but for those that think it was right, if Biden thinks it's right. It's what it's. It seems like it's very little and very late. It's almost a weird yeah. version of that old Woody Allen joke about the couple in the Catskills, where the husband says the food here is awful, and the wife says in such small portions too. Um, what I was looking up. Sorry, I didn't finish my sentence. What I was looking up was what you were indicating to give people a sense of scale. Um, we sent something like over three thousand Abram tanks in the. Persian Gulf War, three thousand yeah. um, to defeat Purple. to defeat that you know to defeat Saddam. Um, the idea that thirty is going to you know turn Putin's head, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I'm this. I try not to talk about things I don't know about. I have general ideas of policy. Um, I military and material uh, strategy is, is certainly nowhere near anything I know much about. So I rely on y'all for that. But just as a matter of math, it seems to me, one, the White House has no idea what it's doing. It hasn't from the get-go, especially their messaging on what sanctions would and would not do from the, from the very beginning. Then the promise that no personnel and no material would be there. Then to the slip of the tongue or the gaffe of telling the truth. I'm not sure which now that Biden made about troops on the ground in Poland and what we heard from um, uh, uh, from. Uh, uh, Weikert, uh, Brandon Weikert early in this week that there are Americans on the ground, uh, whether they're troops or, or, or whether they're contractors is a separate question. And now this notion that, OK, after all, we are going to have to be sending material. It, it seems like a very, very, very confused and confusing defense strategy and policy for the Ukraine right now coming from the White House. It almost seems it almost I hate to say it. But if, you know, the numbers you're talking about are correct, and I have every reason to believe that they are, and they seem to comport with what I was reading as well, it almost seems like it's not much more than virtue signaling where the effort will possibly pro- provide more of a – beget more of a problem than, than it will a solution. It might have the advantage of anger – the advantage of making people thinking we're doing the right thing and the disadvantage of really ticking off Putin. Yep. With a number, with a volume that's not going to do the job that it is no. intended or promised to do. That's that's the concern I have based on what you're saying. Am I reading you right or somewhere close to right or accurately? I'd say yes. OK. Say yes. All right. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to put all this together and it just seems it seems we're lost at sea here. It just seems we're totally lost yep. at sea. Agreed. Agreed. Declining culture. Is what uh, I had you as a on my comment board on, but that's perfectly fine if you didn't want to say something about no, that. No, no, I said been... that one 
I said M1. Oh, M1. Okay, well, it rhymes. If history doesn't rhyme, it repeats itself. <laughs> okay, Jeffrey, very good. M1, I gotcha. We're fine. We're fine. There was something I wanted to do on the declining culture. Um, something, the two things I wanted to do. God, one was a great, great interview. Um, he's a great radio host. I always have this question of radio hosts who also sit on the other side and get interviewed sometimes. Sometimes I'm one of them. But I always ask them, you know, do they prefer to be the host or the uh, guest? And uh, the answers are all are, are all very different. It depends. I, the last one I had was Hinderocker, who said he preferred being a guest rather than a host. He hosts this show. He hosts the Prager show sometimes. Um, and Prager is obviously the uh, bo- my beau ideal of a host, but he's a hell of a guest. And he did an interview the other day. I hope I have time to play it. My God, it was so good. It was nine minutes. And as I was saying it to uh, some friends of mine, I think I was saying to maybe some of the staff yesterday at our meeting, it's, it's nine minutes of what can be an entire course on moral ethics. In nine minutes, he's a guest on a podcast. I'll try and get to it in the next hour. Um, I have a break coming up. As I go to break, let me put in a word for our friends at Y-Refi. You've probably been hearing me talk about Y-Refi for a while now. And if you still have questions about what they can do for you, feel free to contact them at 888-Y-Refi-34. And they can put you in touch with a lot of satisfied customers who are happily investing with them and seeing returns. Folks, how's your IRA doing? Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA and other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's investyrefi.com, or call them at 888 Y-Refi 34. I'll be right back. Oh, I'm looking forward to a report uh, tomorrow from David on the Paul Anka concert, speaking of musicians. And uh, anyway, he went, uh, what did he say, Paul Anka is 81, 82? Wow. Okay, I can't go to these concerts. Um, (laughs) I can't. I have to stop going to these yeah, yeah. I tend to be, in too many cases, three I can think of. I was at the last concert of that musician. <laughs> so I just, if, if there's a, a slightly, uh, if there's a reunion or an older musician uh, coming around, I, I now kind of have to abstain. <laughs> was he 81? God bless him. God love him. Uh, I'm sure David will give us a great report on it uh, tomorrow. Uh, we uh, spent some time over the last couple few days talking about the ire that Ron DeSantis has incurred for um, basically trying to keep critical race theory out of the Florida classrooms, and it engendered a whole new round of criticism from uh, not only uh, the White House press secretary, Karen Jean-Pierre, but Kamala Harris, saying he's trying to keep black kids from learning their history. It's an amazingly strong and ideologically and awfully Awfully insulting and and not only insulting, but divisive statement. And she knows it's not true. You know, when you divide people on such extremes, I forget who I was trying to make this point with. It's a subtle point, and it doesn't explain everything, but I think I'm right about it. 
when you when you divide people and drive them to such such extreme positions, and this can be as true as as true for the right as to the left, but right now most of the extremism, not the preponderance of the extremism, is on the left. If you were to have a you know some kind of fair valence point, but when you drive people on either side or on both sides to these extremes, you can't then sit back and whine and wail about the divisiveness in our country, Um, nor can you sit back and whine and wail about people who act out on these faulty beliefs and notions of extremism or that, that, that are engendered or born of extremist thoughts. Political leaders have a responsibility. They have a responsibility not to drive us to extreme and insane positions and thoughts and thought patterns and beliefs and falsehoods. They have that duty. And if they want to complain about divisiveness, they probably ought to start by looking in the mirror. There is real extreme. You want to know what real extreme? Real extremism. This might be on Elon Musk, by the way. Andrew Boston is a great greatly recognized analyst and physician from Boston, tends to be center-right. He was kind of on team reality with COVID rather than team fear, probably part of the Barrington group. His account was arbitrarily suspended today for allegedly hateful conduct. No example provided, and he's not a hateful man. Meanwhile, he's posted unchallenged tweets from the Ayatollah Khamenei that have never been suspended, calling Jews rabid dogs. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.